When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she had healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. So as I introduced last week, we're going to spend this season of Lent looking at what I call everyday spiritual practices. Things that we can work on as we're going through the normal course of our day to help us deepen our relationship with God. So last week we talked about getting lost. And this week we're going to look at what we'll call being grounded. 
Not grounded in the sense of given a time out by your parents or told that you're restricted to your house, but grounded in the sense that you are deeply and firmly rooted in the here and the now. That you are fully aware of all that is around you in the present moment, not troubled by the past or caught up in looking to the future. We see a couple instances of that in this text today. So that's where we're going to start, is just exploring the examples before us. Now, it helps to know that previous to this story in Mark, it says, it starts where we are, of when Jesus crossed again. So when he had crossed over previously, that is when he healed the Gerasene demoniac. Now, if you remember months ago when we talked about that, that situation ends with the locals essentially kicking Jesus out of their town. He gets this legion of demons to leave this man, and they go into pigs, and the pigs run off the cliff, and the people are like, you gotta go. So that is where Jesus is coming from. And yet, he crosses the sea and leaves that all behind him. Now, I don't know about you, but for me personally, I would still be processing all of that. Not just that encounter with the demons, but then the fact that the people that you are trying to help essentially run you out of town. They miss what you're all about, and they are fearful, and they ask you to leave. And Jesus does leave, but he doesn't take any of that emotion with him. Or if he does, he doesn't show it. It doesn't impact his commitment to being in this crowd in this moment. And then to add to his potential stress, you have the synagogue leader immediately come up to him and say, my daughter is dying. Please come heal her. I can imagine that for this synagogue leader, there is an immense sense of urgency and that he is trying to convey that to Jesus. He doesn't necessarily want to wait for Jesus to do the meet and greet, to kind of amble his way through town. He wants to know that his daughter is going to be okay. And I think we can see through scripture that Jesus is a pretty perceptive person, so he likely would have picked up on this urgency. But again, he doesn't let it sway him. He doesn't tell everyone else they have to wait and just rush to the house. He continues to walk at his pace through the crowd. And then we come to kind of this first surprise, this first twist in the story, where this woman reaches out and touches Jesus to be healed. And Jesus says, who touched me? 
Now, the disciples voice kind of what I'm sure we all think the first time you read it of, how does he know? What is the difference in that touch? I'm sure we've all been on a crowded bus or in a crowded elevator. And whether you like it or not, no matter how small you make yourself, there's going to be contact with other people. And you're probably very aware of every little brush of the shoulder. You might have your hand on your pocket to keep an eye on your wallet. But through all of that, Jesus could sense that power went out when this woman touched his cloak. He was able to filter through all of the other noise and the chaos and sense her. That is an amazing amount of self-awareness, of centeredness, of being not already in that house with that little girl, but present right where he was, right in that moment. So then he stops to ask further about this. And this is where we get another example from this woman of being fully present to the moment. What isn't necessarily spelled out in this text is that for a woman who was hemorrhaging, you would then be ceremonially unclean. And everybody else that came in physical contact with you was also then unclean. So these women that were struggling with diseases like this were often kind of kept off to the side so that people didn't have to worry about coming in contact with them. So when Jesus said, who touched me? This woman would have known that if she tells her story, if she explains why she sought him out, all of the people in the crowd that have been by her are going to start to fear that they are then unclean. And there might be some anxiety that is acted out towards her. But in this moment, she works through her fear and is able to honestly come before Jesus and tell her story. Setting aside her fears and her anxiety, the reality of her social exclusion, the judgment of those around her, she takes the opportunity to fully enter into this moment of relationship with Jesus. And she is able to receive not then only physical healing, but these words of peace from Jesus. These words of blessing that she gets to carry forth from that day forward. So then Jesus continues. And these people come and they say, the girl is dead. 
There's nothing he can do. You should leave him alone. And yet Jesus keeps going. And he shows again his power by bringing this girl fully awake and back on her feet. And then I absolutely love how this text finishes. Because he told them to give her something to eat. I don't know what else there could be that would more represent being fully aware of your present state and needs. This girl has been ill, likely for some time, and has just been the recipient of a miraculous healing. And in the midst of all of the amazement and celebrating, Jesus says, she needs food, you should go get that for her. He is practical and in the moment. Not just about the relationship and the spirit and the emotions, but also about our very real and present physical needs. So we see here some examples of being grounded. So then comes the hard part, our practicing of that ourselves. I am the first to own the fact that I am very good about worrying about the past. And I also really like to be prepared for the future. My sister and I talk about this because her husband doesn't always understand it. But we like to have like alternative plans. So we're going to assume, like, here's six possible ways this could go. I'm going to have a plan for each and every one. And I might stress about what those plans entail, but then I'm calm because I know no matter what happens, like, I just pull out plan A, B, or C, and, like, we're good to go. But that takes work. That takes time and energy away from the present moment to first anticipate all of those most of which are never actually going to come true. And then to have to come up with these plans and to get worked up about potential outcomes that might not ever come to be. How often do we get robbed of the present moment because we're wondering what the person next to us is thinking? Do we worry about that comment that someone said five minutes ago that we just can't get out of our heads? All of these things keep us from being grounded in the here and the now. Being here is sometimes really hard. If you're asked where you want to be, we don't often think, I want to be right here in this time, in this place. We think of somewhere sunny and warm or with family that we haven't seen in a while. If we're in a stressful situation, we might think we'd rather be anywhere but here. And yet, here is all we have. Here is what we have been given. 
So our task is to work at being fully present there. Two Christmases ago, my sister gave me this necklace. And it's really small, but on it, it says, let it go. She's not a Frozen fan. I don't know if she's ever seen it. But she got me this necklace because she saw online somewhere that let it go is an English translation of the same Hebrew word for be still. And she and I had been talking about my desire to work at not fretting about the future, but being present. And so she said she wanted me to have this as a reminder of that beautiful relationship between being still and letting go. I think as we reflect on this text, we can see how Jesus was able to be still and engage in that woman because he was letting go of the urgency. He wasn't unaware of it, but it wasn't in his way. It wasn't so present in front of him that he couldn't be where he was in that moment. This woman was able to respond to Jesus and be honest about her situation because she was empowered to let go of her anxieties, of what her neighbors would think, of what those people in the crowd would be angry about if they knew that she had been unclean. How much more joy and confidence might we have every day if we could let go of some of those things that aren't as important as I think we make them. If we could let go of the things that aren't of God but are just of this world, that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves until we let them distract us from being present, from being aware of everything that is happening around us. Because as we see in this text, there are great payouts from being fully present in the here and now. If Jesus had just run on ahead to that house, that interaction with the woman might have been missed. The kingdom of God is about more than just the grand miracles. The kingdom of God is about seeing, being aware of, and seeking to heal every piece of brokenness. What happens if we run past those for the big things? And in our own hearts, what relationships, particularly with God, that relationship, what is missed 
if we are so caught up in things of the past or the future that we are too scared to speak up in the present. So we're lucky this week in that we have an extra little help. If you have a mailbox, you will see your banner. And it just so happened that on page 36 and 37, there is an article called Mindfulness and Christian Faith. Now, it's a different phrase, but mindfulness in the way that the author, Irene, is using it, is what we are talking about in being grounded. She talks about the importance of this and how sometimes we're nervous to engage in these practices because we see other religious traditions also engage in mindfulness, in being grounded. We're sometimes hesitant to engage those practices. But she argues, as I do, that however you choose to engage it, there are so many benefits that come from seeking to trust in what God is offering in this moment. So I invite you to read through this. She addresses very well that mindfulness is about your physical body. It's about your thoughts, and it's about your emotions. All of those things we are called to be aware of, to be able to know what is ours internally and what is coming in from the outside. And I'm not going to pretend that this is easy work. I think all of the practices we're going to reflect on in Lent have an element of challenge. If they didn't, I think we would already just be incorporating them in our lives and I wouldn't feel led to speak on them. But at the end of the day, what is important for us to remember is that we are not on our own simply trying to block out the bits of darkness that come in at us. We can engage in this work because we know that we are headed towards the cross in this season. We know that the promises of God that are before us in this book are true, that God will be faithful to them, that our identity is not what others tell us it is. It is who God has made us to be. our fears and our doubts that we struggle to overcome, we know that Jesus is greater than all of them, that he can show us the way through, that God's spirit can give us the courage we need to engage in new ways. We can let go of the past and we can trust that good will come in the future. Not because of anything we ourselves are going to do, but because we have a Father in heaven who loves us so much 
that he sent his son once and for all to defeat that darkness, to remind us that we are able to be beloved children of God and that we do not journey through this life alone, but with the constant presence and support of the Holy Spirit. So as we go forth, I challenge you and myself that in each moment that we are given, we remember the blessing that it is. And that when we struggle with the past or the future, we're able to challenge ourselves to say, God, I lay that in your hand. May I see what is around me, that I may build relationships, that I may offer healing, and that I might not take for granted that which is a blessing from our Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your holy word that is given to us in Scripture. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that helps us engage your word in new and fresh ways and helps us be transformed that we might live the way you desire ever better. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who came and modeled for us the way to live in this world that honors and glorifies you, that acknowledges your promises of love and blessing and incorporates them into the way that we go through our daily lives. Lord, we pray that as we do go through seasons that are unpleasant or painful, that we might feel your spirit ever more in abundance, so that we might truly say, thank you for this moment, Lord. Lord, we pray that in all things you would empower us to seek you first, so that your name would be praised. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.